13. And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's say together, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thank you. You can have a seat. Um, so I'm going to go verse by verse, and, and we're going to make some observations. So we'll start with verse 7. And he called the 12, the 12 disciples. If you want a list, there's a list in Matthew 10. He called the 12, and he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. So this word send that we have it is packed with meaning. Uh, in the Greek, you would see that it means an authorized representative to act in one's place. This isn't like, hey, I'm going to go send you on a Home Depot run. This is, hey, I'm going to send you in my very name to go represent me to people. So Jesus sends out the 12 to carry on his mission, and he gives them authority over unclean spirits, which this is a really interesting summarizing statement of what Jesus told them to do. Because we found out later that they do a bunch more things. They, they preach repentance and they heal the sick. So why the emphasis on having authority over unclean spirits? Well, I'm sure you all vividly remember that when Mark is introducing Jesus' ministry, Jesus starts it with an exorcism, with power over unclean spirits. So the disciples are being sent out and they start their own ministry with power over unclean spirits as further evidence that they are the authorized representatives of Jesus. Verse 8, And he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. So these things that Jesus tells them not to take, these were considered the necessary travel provisions. And he tells them, don't take them. Why not? And my question is, why not be better prepared for the what-ifs? Well, what if this happens? But he tells them not to take any of that stuff. And I think the apparent, the apparent answer is that he's stripping these missionaries from any sense of self-sufficiency. He, he's forcing them to rely on God, that God would provide for them in, other, in and through other means. And how many of us have stepped back from a spiritual conversation or a spiritual growth opportunity because of the what ifs? Because we, we're not certain about what the outcome will be. What if they reject me? What if, what if no one shows up? Or what if I share the gospel with a coworker and they ask me a question I can't answer? And, and if we just back away. But we'll get back to that. Verse 10, and he said to them, Where, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. 
And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So if a town rejected these missionary pair, if they said, what are you talking about? I don't need to repent. I'm Jewish. I'm God's chosen people. The missionaries, what Jesus told them to do was shake the dust off their sandals. Which that's an odd gesture, right? But to the Jews, they would understand exactly what it meant. Because when a pious Jew would say they were in Gentile territory and they're leaving it, what they would do is get all the dust off of them. They'd shake it off as a, as a symbol of like, I have nothing to do with you. I don't want to be associated with you at all. And as an ASU grad, I do this every time I leave Tucson. <laughs> get it off me. And so think about it. This was quite a dramatic gesture at the time. Because this is the smallest known particle to man. I don't even want that on the bottom of my shoe. But it was also a really sobering gesture. Why? Because the message was that judgment is coming and you will have to answer to God for what you've put your faith in. Ooh. You will have to answer to God. So they went out, verse 12. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And again, as authorized representatives of Jesus, they were carrying on the same message that Jesus came, that Jesus came with. From Mark 1.15, we see that Jesus says, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. It would be remiss of me at this point not to emphasize this for unbelievers in the room. If you have never put your faith in Christ, if you've never confessed your sin, if you've never turned to Christ, I echo what Jesus said, what the Twelve said, what John the Baptist said. Repent. Turn from your sin. Stop trusting your own goodness for salvation and turn to trust in what God has done for you, what Christ has done through his blood on the cross on your behalf. And this isn't like a suggestion, like, hey, you should repent. This, this isn't like, hey, you should floss more. I went to the dentist this week. This is like, hey, there's a semi-truck barreling down the road, and your soul is in its path. Move. Repent, turn. And this message of shaking the dust should be sobering to you too. It should evoke earnest consideration of, of where you put your faith because judgment is coming and you will have to answer to God. Will you turn to him? He's inviting you. He's done all the work on your behalf. And he's inviting you to, to come to him, into relationship with him for salvation, for eternity, but also for this life. Will you trust him? Verse 13. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. 
So here's the message. God, the gospel came in power, not just in words. The demons obeyed these humans. Sicknesses were healed. And, be, and they, this happened, these supernatural things happened because these people were authorized representatives of Christ himself, of God himself. And so a little bit of background that will help us understand. When Jesus calls the disciples, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so up to this point, they had done following. They'd been with Jesus. But they hadn't done any fishing themselves. So at this point in Mark, Mark 6, there's a significant shift in the story because now they're not only following, they are being sent out as his representatives. And they are fishing for men. They're doing the fishing on their own. And this is a significant shift for every disciple. Not just the 12 then. This is a call for us too. If you are in Christ, then this, is, this should be your life. Have you had this moment where you shift from only following to also fishing? Have you done that? Because the truth is that Christians are authorized representatives of God. You, if you're in Christ, not just the 12, but you too. We know from the rest of the New Testament that Christians are authorized representatives of God. Oh, sorry. There you go. And, and we're still, we still have spiritual authority. In Jesus' name, we still have spiritual authority. While spiritual, spiritual warfare looks very different in our context, primarily, we still are in a spiritual battle. So you, if you're a Christian, you're an authorized representative of God, and we are still in the midst of a spiritual battle as we embrace our kingdom mission. So last week, uh, I went with some students, me and Sammy and another leader, went with some students to see a new movie, Spider-Man. Uh, and I'm not a big superhero movie guy. I expected some booze. <laughs> That's, I'll, I'll take it. Um, I'm not a big superhero movie guy, but I really enjoyed this movie, Spider-Man. Uh, and there's one scene in particular that, that really got me. So there's, there's this part where Spider-Man's fighting the bad guy. I won't give anything away. Fighting the bad guy. But there's dozens of these drones that are projecting hologram, hologram images onto him and, and to his surroundings. So he doesn't know what's real or what's fake. He, he can't tell what reality is. So our boy Spider-Man is in trouble. It's not going well because he thinks he's punching the bad guy in the face, but he ends up punching a cement pillar. And then he thinks he's diving to save his girl MJ, but he dives right into concrete. He's in trouble. He's in trouble because he doesn't know what's, what's real or what's fake. And then there's like falling shards of glass and he's backing up and backing up and bam, oncoming train. Not good. And, and it's, it's a brilliant scene. It's so creative. But I, I was thinking to myself, this is a great picture, a great parallel of how Satan attacks us now, of how his demons work. And even while Spider-Man's fighting and getting, beating himself up, essentially, the, the bad guy's whispering in his ear. He's speaking in his ear, you're just a little boy in a sweatsuit. If you were good enough, maybe your mentor wouldn't have died. 
and, and deep down, you know I'm right. You, you can't fight me. You got nothing. And, and I think this is a brilliant illustration for how we get attacked today in our context. That Satan primarily attacks us through lies, through these false projections of realities. And he's been doing it since the beginning, right? If we go back to, to Genesis 3, we see that, that Eve knows she's not supposed to eat the fruit. But then Satan gives these alternate projections and then presents a foolish decision like it's wisdom. That fruit looks good. It, oh, sure you, surely you won't die. It, you'll be like God. Maybe God even wants you to take it. And, and, and Eve bites into the fruit, and bam! The oncoming train, and we're still feeling the effects of the whiplash from that event. From, from the choice not to trust in God's goodness that he wants what's best. And so Satan, I, I wholeheartedly believe this, Satan does not want you to live and walk in this reality that you, you personally, if you are in Christ, you are an authorized representative of God. He does not want you to believe that. So he attacks. And he attacks with projections of doubts, and he attacks by speaking lies into our ear. Back to our, our what-ifs. What if they reject me? What if I, I, I step out, I join an, a, a gospel community, and I don't make any friends there? What if I, I, I step out and share the faith with someone and they ask me a question I can't answer? What, what if I ask if I could pray for a coworker and they say no? Or worse, what if they say yes and I don't know what to say? What if, what if, what if? These are the projections of the enemy. You are an authorized representative of God, and you can represent him. And then the lies. We have the lies, too. Deep down, you know God's not really going to work. You know God's not really going to move in the heart of that person that you're trying to witness to. Deep down, you, you know you're not really good enough to represent him. I work with a lot of younger people with my job, and I work with a lot of older people. And, and you know what? I hear this one a lot. Uh, I'm not old enough to do this. I'm not old enough to represent God. And then when I talk to older people, guess what they say? <laughs> I'm, too old. I, I'm too old to do this. I can't relate. But again, I think these are lies from the enemy. There's no Goldilocks age. You're, you're not going to be the, just the right age to, to represent God. Wherever you're at, whatever age you are right now, if you're in Christ, you represent him. Maybe the accuser whispers to you, you're not good enough to be a mentor. You're, you're not good enough to be a mentor. Who, who would listen to you anyway? Even if you tried, who, who would want that? Or, or men in the room, 
and I'm calling out men because, men, you are the, the spiritual leaders of your family. Maybe you feel like you cannot represent God to your family. And maybe the enemy's there at night before bed. When, when you feel this tug, like, oh, I want to pray over my wife and for my wife or over my kids. You feel this, this live, oh, you, you can't represent God. You can't do that. That's not, that's not you. Your wife is more spiritual than you anyway. She should pray. I'm convinced that that's spiritual warfare. That the enemy is telling you, you cannot step into the leadership position God has given you. And he would love for you just to agree with him. And my question for you, are there what ifs or lies that are holding you back from embracing your identity and role as an authorized representative of Jesus in his kingdom mission? Are there lies, are there what-ifs that you are agreeing with the enemy about? Identify them. Because you, you can't fight the enemy until you know what he's using against you. And while we are not Spider-Man, we're not superheroes, we do have a superpower. And, and our superpower is the truth. It is the truth that it's the, the sword that deguts the enemy's lies. And so use your truth as a weapon. Use the truth to defend yourself. What are the lies? Find the truth. What's the projection? Find the truth. The gospel is, is this good news. It's this really good news. And I, I want to use this logo. I don't know what it was meant for, but here's what I'm using it for. Um, this is what we deserve, right? This is absolutely what we deserve. We deserve judgment. We deserve to die in the dust and be left there. But that's not the message of the truth. The, the truth is that Jesus came for sinners who deserve the dust and lifts us out of the dust. And he puts a, a royal ring on our finger so we can represent the royal family. We get to speak for him. And then we get to, we're invited into his royal family, and we get to be part of what he's doing in the world. And, and there's no greater privilege or responsibility for a Christian than to embrace this mission that is worth dying for. And so my encouragement to you is take the truth, use your superpower, and, and attack and destroy the lies because you, can, you 